welcome to this uh, podcast, one of a series of podcasts produced as part of the Healthy London Partnership Ask About uh, Asthma campaign. Uh, my name's Oliver Anglin. I'm a GP in Camden, um, and I'm also the clinical lead for children's asthma for the Healthy London Partnership. Um, and uh, today we will be focusing on the work of one um, particular London borough, Tower Hamlet, and their response to um, the challenges around asthma and how to manage uh, children's asthma. So to join me in conversation today, I have uh, Rita Araujo and uh, Tori Hadaway. Um, thank you both for agreeing to, to jump on here today. Um, so I'm going to hand over to um, these guys to introduce themselves. So also tell me a little bit about yourselves, what your, your, your role is. Um, and also, if you wouldn't mind, just a little something about um, something about yourself that you've discovered during the kind of craziness of this recent uh, lockdown period. Um, Rita. Hi, um, Oliver. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, so I'm Rita Araujo, actually. So there you go. Oh, I, was so, I was, <laughs> I was close. so close. So anyway, so that's my name. Um, I'm a transformation manager across a maternity, children and people uh, programme. Um, I'm also the co-chair for North East London uh, Children and Young People um, Asthma Network. And what I would say about lockdown is actually that two things, really. So one, when a crisis happens, I actually need to do something about it. So um, actually being out, you know, being able to work and really indulge myself into working was fundamental. And also, to be honest, I was, you know, just all over the place with really trying to get um, volunteering kind of uh, acts together. But equally also, I love hugs and I miss hugs a lot. And I realised how much I really enjoy hugs. So those are the two main things for me, to be honest, about lockdown. Oh, big, uh, big lessons there. I think important, the hugs one. Uh, you know, agree with you totally on that one. It's it's been a challenge. Tori, uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm the community children specialist, wheeze and asthma nurse in Tower Hamlets. So I deliver um, consultations with children and family and have been doing lots of work around um, teaching and training in schools and trying to get asthma friendly schools um, in place in Tower Hamlets. So the things that I've learned since I've been off, well, I've learned that I can um, grow vegetables and I've been growing some potatoes, um, lots of different types, courgettes and all sorts of things. So now I've got extra things to do with looking after them. But I've also learned that I'm not a very good hairdresser. And my children do not like their haircuts. So um, they're now growing them very long and they're very curly. And my last thing that I've learned is it's not very good being a, a full-time worker and homeschooling and I've realised I don't know very much and thank God for Google. All I <laughs> thank uh, thanks, uh, thanks Tori. I mean those are some real real life goals there so heading towards self-sufficiency. So let's um, let's move on and start talking about um, your work in, 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 in Tower Hamlet. So Tell us about what was the what was the impetus? What was the rationale um, for developing um, the asthma the asthma work the asthma program in in Tower Hamlets? Obviously, Oliver, it's not a surprise for you that obviously asthma is the most uh, common long term condition in the UK, um, and actually asthma 
deaths in London are significantly higher than in the rest of the country. And actually locally, um, across our Bapt Health Trust kind of catchment area, we actually had six deaths uh, within a short period of time. And we were all very struck locally in Tower Hamlets as we also had um, an asthma death. We also saw within our data that actually locally it was the highest reason uh, for children to actually be admitted into hospital. It was their wheeze or their asthma that was triggering that. And equally, when we actually, you know, contacted and engaged with a number of families and children and people, they confirmed that actually we needed, you know, significant change, uh, that they needed change uh, for things uh, to improve and their experience to improve um, around um, this topic. So, so kind of quite a few different um, uh, sort of levers coming from different directions, different sort of trigger points around it. And um, what what did you what did you hope to achieve? So, um, following um, as I was saying, engagement with with families and children and young people, it was you know astonishing to actually go through that process and. You know, we had a five-year-old uh, boy who told us having a bad day with asthma is like a monster. Um, and because of that, that actually became kind of our tagline. We wanted to stop the monster days for all children and young people across uh, across our borough. Uh, but equally, we had young people who basically said, you know, all I want to be able to do is actually want to be able to breathe which again sounds so simple um, and yet so powerful and that actually became kind of the name of our program so take a breather program um, and that's the rationale behind that and to be fair that's basically our motto that's what we're you know here to 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 be able to do so ultimately obviously improve the experience and the clinical outcomes for these families and children and then we actually as this whole system so Oliver, you'll know that we've done kind of a really integrated whole system approach to this. And our overarching aim was actually to reduce non-elective or non-planned, if you like, like admissions by 10 percent in, in 12 months. We wanted something that was really concrete um, and really linked us to the quality improvement uh, methodologies. And um, equally that we had, you know, obviously robust data that could support us. And then I would also say that um, we wanted to kind of test interventions that were never done before. So we wanted to be evidence based in our approach to say, OK, the system and the research says that this has worked before. We wanted to push ourselves to the next level and actually fill the gaps that we collected from from families and, and children and people locally. And then last but not least, we really, really were eager as a system, as an integrated kind of partnership um, borough or board uh, to really test a methodology that would aid kind of the integrated work. We talk a lot about integrated work, but, our, you know, what is kind of... Um, you know, the ideal setting or the ideal methodology to use. And that's what we wanted to test. And, and so we tested the quality improvement approach to see if that was, you know, if that was if that fit purpose in terms of, of, of integration and, and programs across the system. OK, I mean, I'm, you know, it's really interesting talking about this, um, this integrated, um, integrated approach, because um, I find in, in, in my experience, it has been you know, it is quite challenging to demonstrate um, 
the the kind of effectiveness of a, of a change in one part of the system when you're changing lots of different parts of the system. So it's interesting to hear that you guys use the um, the, 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 the 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 QI approach. Um, is, can you give an example, perhaps, of a of a, a sort of you know a a, a, a specific project um, where you were able to 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 look at that? Um, yes. So, for example, um, if we take in consideration that we use the quality improvement methodologies um, in the context of the system, so the integration approach, I think we could give a really solid example with um, our air quality program that we currently have in place. And that is part of this bigger conversation of our take a breather program. Um, so when we started and when we started to talk about wheeze and asthma, you know, there's this, this tendency for us to think about it in a very clinical way. Um, but actually, when you think about the impact that air quality can have in your asthma, and there's really good research to tell us that, you know, actually working with um, researchers in, in uh, Queen Mary University, London, um, uh, talking and, and discussing, you know, the opportunities around housing with our colleagues in public health. Um, again, our co uh, colleagues in public health and around air quality, you realise that, you know, you can actually produce and that's what we ended up producing. So we're, we're skipping here into maybe outcomes and outputs, mm -hmm. but um, you realise that you actually can produce, you know, obviously along families and children and people, really, really great kind of set of um, materials that can aid, you know, professionals across the system to have really um, informed and intelligent, practical discussions about air quality and the impact that it can have on your wheeze and your asthma. But I would also invite Tori to obviously talk a little bit about, you know, all the work that she's done in school, because that was, you know, really good, solid partnership work in terms of going into schools and actually conducting group consultations in schools. So Tori, yeah, can you tell us a, tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so I think one of the, the main aims for my role um, is to actually uh, provide specialist knowledge and education to try and improve asthma care within primary and secondary care. Um, and one of the projects that we did was to go in to do training within schools um, and to try and use it as a form of a group consultation. So what I did is I invited children and families from 10 different schools and went into each school separately and provided some training um, and education around asthma and allergy through like a presentation. Um, and what I did is I did pre-questionnaires before and afterwards to see um, what information the families had retained um, and also did an uh, asthma control test to look at their symptoms um, and what I did find was um, a number of things one thing was that, that a lot of families have poor perception of what poor control is um, and don't seek medical help um, often don't go to GP for reviews when they need to um, and what I found was that um, by giving them the training the education and, and making sure that they're aware of what poor symptoms are is to try and help and improve 
um, their symptom control. And then those that had poor ACTs actually um, came to my clinic and got an in-depth consultation, um, looking at their medication, how we can improve their symptoms. And a lot of the time it's around compliance and um, understanding around education. Um, and some of the things that we that I did find from from doing those sessions was that um, forty two percent of the children that I'd seen actually had um, poor ACTs, haven't been going to A and E, um, and only sixty eight percent of the children were getting an asthma annual review with their GPs. So they're not obviously seeking that help and attention when their symptoms are bad. Um, also identified that children had the wrong spaces um, at school, mainly the face masks. Um, so doing training and education and asking GPs to prescribe the right ones to help um, drug delivery. And also we're finding that a lot of children didn't have asthma plans within schools. So at the end of the session, they were given all given an asthma plan um, at home and at school to try and help. Um, make sure they know how to control their symptoms when they're un, unwell. Um, so there was lots of work around that and it's just unfortunate that we've had all of COVID going on that it's been um, not been able to carry those things forward. So looking at different ideas of how to do that in the future in September. Yeah, great. Um, some, you know, powerful stuff there. And I think that point, you know, that you made about discovering that um, that children and parents didn't recognise what what poor control was. It's just you know it's really you know quite quite astounding. I wonder um, what um, you know your approach was um, to to draw in all of these people. How did you go about getting this um, getting this whole whole system conversation going? How do you reach these people? How do you bring them in? How do you keep them as part of the ongoing work. Um, Rita, perhaps we start with you. Yeah, definitely. So I think we need to be realistic here. So, and I think it won't come as a surprise that there's always people who will not be ready for change, right? And that's actually okay. And that's actually the beauty of my job is <laughs> actually convincing and, um, you know, going through that process um, but what I call a lot about the holding hand in relation to the readiness for change. So, you know, we're if we think about the readiness for change, um, we're all at different levels and at different states. There'll be people that are really, you know, adamant that this is the absolutely right, perfect way to do things. And then you'll have the other extreme where actually I'm super eager for change. This couldn't come fast enough. So I think there's, there's, there's two really, you know, I think really important things here, which is one, I guess my motto in terms of the work that every single work I, you know, I'm part of, which is really go where the energy leads you, really, I would say. So really thinking about starting small. And I think that's the beauty of QI. And that's why I've been, you know, such a advocate for it for such a long time now. Um, and it actually you prove that it works at a small scale and you grow from there and you actually grow your, you know, your audience and the people that will support the change process. But, you know, secondly, and not less important, obviously, I think would be, um, you know, the importance of throughout the whole process, you know, you're actually backing yourself up with data. 
you know, and but more more importantly, within that data, because obviously engagement with families and children, what, what they're saying is really, really important data. So if they're telling us, actually, we want somebody to come into school, that is so powerful and so strong and so important. How can you argue against, some, you know, somebody telling us, I want you to come into school? Or if you have a conversation with them about, you know, um, external factors or you know their day-to-day -day and they mentioned air quality they mentioned pollution you know as they have how can you not you know back that up and how can you not support that um and then last but not least and this is obviously linked with uh, go where the energy leads you but equally you know make sure that you have some senior level support or backup so somebody that's you know at a strategic more senior level that actually when something comes up you can actually have that quick talk and say look I'm really finding this challenging here um can you support me so it's all about you know I know it's very cliche but it does all come down to relationships um and I think we're in Tower Hamlets we've been very for fortunate uh because it's a number of years now coming in terms of having a, a partnership borough kind of approach and a setup and a governance that actually supported um, and allowed for that focus in terms of the WEAS and the asthma programme as a system rather than, you know, the CCG or public health or whoever trying to think about, you know, which we're now going to focus on this. We agreed as a system that the WEAS and the asthma was going to be our focus um, across um, the piece for, for, you know, for, for the existing um, time that we've done it. Mm. And um, and Tori, in your in your experience of, of of kind of linking things up a little bit, what's what's that been like? You know, being part of the discussions and and playing this role in schools and linking out to other parts of the system. I think it's been um, a bit harder for me because I've come from Bart's Health and worked there for very many years, and then changing over to working in in more in primary care, I've had to obviously get to know lots of people have lots of meeting and try and engage. And I think throughout my journey, there is lots of different pockets of people that show interest around asthma. And it's trying to engage them and drawing them in and saying, what can you do to help? How could we make change? Um, and I think a lot of it is, is just keep going and chipping away until you actually get that change made. To, and the whole, whole aim of it is to actually help support children and, and young people with wheeze and asthma, whether that's within the GP or within school. Um, and it's what you find is what can you do to help support that? So I have had lots of meetings with um, the school nursing team about how we can make change around what they do, what can they do to offer and help support me. So there's a lot, lot of partnership and working and that, you know, there's still lots to be done. Um, and I think that's what makes it interesting is, is that there's always different ways you can go um, and trying to make change. And as long as you have enthusiastic people that are wanting to make change, um, and somebody like Rita um, will will eventually get there and get get the stuff that we want for our patients. So it's just to keep plodding on, really. Yeah, interesting to hear you saying it around the the importance of having people in roles who are you know committed and prepared to go out there and and, and do the talking and build and build those relationships. Um, so do you is there um, in Town Hamlets is there a, a an asthma sort of board and asthma network where you all meet together because as 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 you kind of both spoken about it's um it is a 
it is across the system and there's a you know an agreement that this is a priority f- not just for the ccg but you know but across the system in tar hamlet it's really important to kind of it's great that question is perfect um i think it's really important that we do to talk a little bit more in depth around the governance around tar hamlets so we have uh what we call a partnership um across the system which is called tower hamlets together and within that um framework if you like you have three kind of boards um um system wide working groups one of which is is um the maternity and children young um young people focus so it's actually called born well growing well um and within that group um you have you know um representation across the whole system uh, and that's where we decided actually you know what's our common theme what's the theme that we're going to be focusing uh, where are we going to test you know quality improvement methodologies and see if it works um, for us and for this integration so it is fundamental and really relevant that we already had this set up if that makes sense so we at very senior level we had this um, this push and this want of actually progressing things and then I would add that under that born well growing well um, board or partnership um, we had a working group that obviously Tori uh, was was fundamental and part of in terms of which is called the children and people's pathway development working group where we actually did again we we had system-wide representation res- representation there as well um, where we took um, our work there, um, you know, bi-monthly. But equally, I would add, you know, it all sounds lovely and the outcomes are great, but we were meeting every two weeks for a whole hour with key people that were involved in kind of the delivery and, you know, the actions and really, you know, progressing things. So I can't emphasize enough uh, the importance of, you know, setting up those meetings, meeting very regularly, taking a lot of kind of ownership in terms of the actions, but then equally having, you know, that's very senior kind of um, level or, you know, light in terms of actually this is yeah, we want you to do this. We we support you, and and this is where we want things to be going. So that there's there's two things here really. Mm. And so we it's, have all, sorry, we sorry, have all, sorry. We've got some other um, groups that have developed from it. So we have developed yeah. a northeast London asthma nurse working group, um, and the amount of asthma nurses that we have have almost doubled um, in the last um, few years. Um, so we meet. Um, monthly to two monthly depends on what what we're doing um and we we look at how we can make change across bart's health um and across northeast london um and and trying to do things jointly from training and and trying to make them quite a big focus thing so that we can make change from that Um, and we also have developed pan london asthma nurse working group um, where we meet a few times a year to discuss any research or any new things people are doing so that we can share what we've learned um, and share our knowledge so that we can help other areas develop and 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 make some system change as well right so it feels like um there's there's a little bit of the the sort of smaller scale um stuff at a local and a, a sort of lower lower level going working with the willing plus also the importance of picking up that that sort of senior 
senior support, that senior cover, and having it uh, prioritised at, at the most, um, at the highest levels within within organisations. Combination of those two things pulling together, allowing you to to deliver this sort of stuff. Um, I suppose I'm, I'm kind of going back a little bit to um, the earlier questions about um, uh, your, your 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 kind of rationale, how you're able to to get people involved. So these are um, you know for other areas we're thinking about uh, about it. Um, how how would you go about at the highest level? Um, uh, you know, what would your, your advice be to other areas at, at, at the highest levels? How do you how do you bring in, you know, um, governing bodies for CCGs and and um, directors of children's services, etc.? How do you have those conversations? What are your levers? Would you say um, to, to to bring them around the table to discuss this sort of stuff? Um, so, um, yeah. So I would personally say that if there's any advice is basically you know the data is there how families and children and people feel that's there and that's super powerful and you can't you know uh, contest that um but equally that actually you know we need to remove ourselves from this idea that actually and and tori talked a little bit about the allergy um path, you know bridge so we need to remove ourselves from this idea that wheeze and asthma is a very, you know, very only or, you know, clinical based kind of uh, situation. It's actually it needs a system approach. It needs an integration approach. Um, and without kind of having those conversations and being able to showcase, you know, and make the point that actually you do need to have conversations about housing and, and the importance of air quality if you have a severely asthmatic child um, in, in the borough. You do need to have an important conversation in, you know, a city like London when it comes to, you know, air pollution. You do need to have a, you know, a, a really in-depth conversation about how you set up the support that you give to children in schools you know not expecting them to miss school to go into a clinical consultation to go and see people you know as amazing and as skilled as Tori you know you need people like Tori going around and, and having that 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 system kind of um networking that she was describing um and I think that you know if we can help and if we can set the tone and if we you know we're open and we we're here to help and, and have further discussions about how how we can make you know um how we can help other areas do similar things um and you know having us as an example i think can really i know that obviously coming from uh, northwest london and having having set up something similar such as the um itchy wheezy sneezy <laughs> program um actually helped in terms of no I know you know something similar that I did elsewhere worked and it, it has to work here it will work here as well so I think um, using other examples one two having um, you know the data and the rationale behind it and shifting uh, the conversation from having it very clinically based and very clinically heavy into conversations that actually are topics that should be covered by other uh, people within the system. Thank you. Yeah, really. Thanks, uh, Rita. Really helpful um, way of framing those conversations. What are what other um, 
uh, examples or, or would you give us as um, cases of the most important outcomes and outputs from from the work that you've been doing? Obviously, most importantly was our families and, you know, families, children, young people reporting, you know, increase in confidence and managing of, of the condition and the knowledge. Tori's um, already reflected on that a little bit. And obviously their positive experience, you know, the actual experience of having somebody, for example, in the school or actually being able to go into, you know, knowing that they're going into a clinic after they've been admitted. Um, but equally, I would say, you know, the actual clinical outcomes, we know that for 92 percent of the children that were actually followed up, they had an improvement in their ACT, so their asthma control test. Um, and I think that's that's phenomenal and that's fantastic. Um, but equally, you know, we, we were at a stage when we started this whole process where we, you know, across the borough, we had 40 percent of the children and people had a personalised as asthma action plan. And now we're actually up to 75 percent. Yes, one could argue or one could question the quality of it, but the fact that we've, you know, increased and we know that across primary care, that's 75% of, of our asthmatics have an asthma uh, plan. That's that's very powerful to us in terms of progress and, and kind of concrete kind of um, um, objectives reached. But then, as um, as you know, our target or our aim was to reduce non-planned admissions by 10% within 12 months. And we're really, really happy to report that actually we've reduced that by 22%. So we've actually had a reduction in um, non-planned admissions for wheeze and asthma by 22%. And that equates uh, roughly over £142,000. So um, in terms of, 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 of savings and, um, you know, it proves uh, what I'm always trying to say, which is actually if we improve um, and we focus on what children and families need and want, um, the, the money will come attached to it. Uh, the shift will happen um, if we're focusing on improving um, experience and, and obviously the self-management kind of element. People will feel more confident about managing their condition. But equally, it really proves the point. And Oliver, that comes back to what you were asking earlier about having conversations about prevention, really, because if you think that all of the children that Tori identified within the school cohort um, you know, there was a large proportion that were actually at a risk of having an asthma attack, but none of them had actually seeked, you know, for any acute care. That tells us a lot about the, you know, the opportunity there in terms of the prevention um, and the preventative element and investing, you know, in people like Tori, um, who are highly skilled, highly qualified to go into, you know, and do that prevention, preventative work uh, with these families and, and actually, you know, skill the system, um, which which I can't emphasize enough. So that was something that we also did. And Tori invested quite significantly was in um, uh, skilling up um, the system. Um, and then last but not least, I would say, we now have a well-established air quality program um, where we've managed to co-produce, you know, a number of materials with children and young people and families. Um, and actually, we're going now into an implementation phase. In your experience, so if you were to do what you've been doing again, what would you do differently, do you think? So I think from my point of view, it's been um, very busy. There's uh, obviously a large demand 
of patients that are coming via A&E that need to have clinic consultations um, and need that support. So um, I found that I have spent um, a lot of time around that in, in looking at DNAs um, and I've had quite a big issue around patients DNA in I think purely because they didn't know what the service involves and there was a lot of confusion between um, going to different GP surgeries. Um, so now I've got my clinic set up um, with the community children's nursing team um, and for structure and support and a, a one based location I think works better um, with more people um, actually come in. Um, before I was doing it in different GP surgeries, sort of like localities, and a lot of families struggled going to different GP surgeries. It made sense in a way to do that because then I'm able to skill up um, and train staff within those surgeries. Um, and at the end of the day, it's trying to look at what families actually want. Um, and from my feeling, when you've got the head in to say a hospital appointment, the families are a lot more likely to want to come than to go to the GP surgery. So at the moment, I'm currently working on, on that basis. Um, but I also have been doing a lot more since COVID around telephone consultations. So I'm looking at changing the structure of what I actually do um, and offering a telephone consultation first before a face-to-face. -face. Um, and that purely is, is to um, one reduce my DNAs because most people normally answer their phones, um, but also to look at the fact that I had a long waiting list of about two, three months. Um, by using some of the telephone consultations, I can reduce and keep that um, rate down. So I've realized that there is a lot of work to do and there's only one of me. So I think if I was to do things again, I would like to have done a business plan for two asthma nurses um, and a, an admin person because at the moment that's limited so I think when you're doing a business plan look at your figures and actually identify what you're actually going to need but I think because we hadn't had this service before it was uh, you know creating from scratch and learning what things we actually needed so I would say that more manpower would have helped um, and maybe the way forward in the future. Thanks Tori and, and Rita you're your views on what you you feel you would have done differently? If you ask me, if there's one thing, um, not necessarily different, but if I could change for every single programme I lead across the system, name it at, you know, at STP or, at, you know, very localised level is interoperability. So, you know, being able to actually access data across the system for the same, you know, child and young person. It sounds such a simple, you know, simple ask, but it is, um, it doesn't happen. Um, and I think data, um, although we haven't obviously touched on that, it was a huge challenge for us. And actually, you know, um, if we could have a single set or, you know, a, a single view of that child or that young person, not just in relation to their, you know, admission or attendance in A&E, but everything else, you know, all the other challenges that that family is faced with, that would be so powerful in terms of, of our impact and what we do next. So that's something that I think COVID um, definitely allowed us to um, to progress and, you know, uh, eased a little bit our kind of governance in terms of, of data sharing um, 
particularly for our shielded uh, children and young people. And actually, you, we now have, for example, locally, a single view of the child. And I can't emphasize enough how powerful that is and how different one um, can approach, a, you know, a problem of a family that we know, you know, let's say Tori knows that there's a social worker. She knows that they live in a really busy street, um, very high polluted. They're severely asthmatic. They have a number of, you know, challenges. Uh, you know, they, they have an education, health and care plan. How different can that be for us as a system to actually have that all that information to actually support that family in a way, a much better way? So, so not necessarily I would change, but if there was something that could be different, um, interoperability for me is is a very big one. Yeah, yeah, I think something that would be reflected by um, uh, and recognised by by a lot of people working in the system. Um, so I suppose fi final question then, um, just to, 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 to finish this off, um, I suppose you touched on it a little bit there, Rita, um, again, for both of you, um, what would be your vision for the future? Where do you see, um, where would you like to see things in, in, in Tower Hamlets, um, going to next, um, Tori? So I think from my point of view, I would like to have um, every single school in Tower Hamlets being an asthma-friendly school. Um, so we'll be doing some work around um, achieving that in, in the future. Um, and different ways around how I could do that because it's going to be difficult to be able to go and do teaching and training with children because of COVID and not being able to be in large groups so that should be interesting in looking at new ways around how to do that um i think also i would like to try and look and see it um we're trying to upskilling more staff within in primary care and maybe look at trying to do some joint annual reviews within practices um to see if we can improve um knowledge around key or um, asthma champions leads within primary care to try and see if we can improve some of that um, in each practice. Great. And uh, Amrita? Obviously, you know, the goal, the, the, the ultimate goal will obviously be for, you know, zero deaths, 100% plans across the system of high quality, where Tory's not saying, actually, they have a plan, but this is not up to scratch. Um, uh, obviously, uh, you know, uh, Toria talked a little bit about manpower. So if we have a system that's well trained enough and that's well skilled enough, we probably could shift um, to maintaining Tori and actually using Tori with, you know, at that higher level, high specialist area. So actually, if the system is, is well skilled, um, that could could be really powerful for us. Um, and I would also say, obviously, um, as I as I introduced myself at the beginning of the podcast, so as the co-chair of the Northeast London kind of asthma network for children and people, um, you know, progressing that work, sharing that work, which we are at the moment, and actually progressing this this vision and this uh, you know this notion um, that we have. Um, as, as Tori mentioned, uh, with a number of examples that we've done across Northeast London. So progressing that agenda and jointly working together um, uh, across Northeast London, but equally, obviously, with yourself, Oliver, as well across London and have this really, you know, solid vision about what we can do um, for children and people with wheeze and asthma.
Um, and obviously not forgetting that bridge with with allergy, because I do I do think that um, there is the tendency to kind of um, slip that one through. And we can't emphasize enough how how important that is. And and certainly from from our area, from our catchment area, you know, the interface with allergy and, and death um, has certainly been a big one for us. Great. Thank you. Thank you both. Um, great, great answers. And, and um, I'm sure with the with the commitment and the, the work um, from from you both and the rest of the system in, in Tower Hamlets will continue to see that vision being realized in the future. Um, so, yeah, I just want to say um, a real big thank you to both of you. Um, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. I know there's so much more that we could have um, picked up on and dug into the detail of, but I'm really grateful for that um, sort of whistle-stop tour through the work that you've, you've been doing. So thank you both for joining. Um, thank you all for having a listen to this um, particular podcast. Um, just to let you know that as part of the um, podcast mini-series, there's also a few others available for you to um, download from the Healthy London Partnership website at healthylondon.org. You can listen to podcasts on asthma-friendly schools with um, Karen Rodasano. There's one on air quality and what we've learned from COVID with Jonathan Grigg. We have learning from asthma deaths, where I'll be speaking to um, Mark Levy. Um, we have an Ask the Expert about Asthma podcast and also one on the role of tertiary care in asthma management with Louise Fleming. So if you haven't already had a listen to those, I'd invite you to um, get onto the website and have a little look. Also, to keep abreast of what's going on during um, the Ask About Asthma week, please uh, have a look at the hashtag Ask About Asthma um, on various different social media channels. Um, so thank you all for listening and I will see you in another podcast.